Hello and welcome to the Odds Checker Premier League preview video and podcast. I am your host, George Ellick, and I'm joined by two expert guests to run through. Well, all the antipost markets for the Premier League, it's about to start again. It feels like I was speaking to these two about the Champions League final pretty much yesterday, but here we are on the dawn of a new season. Joining me today is football writer and editor of the Blizzard, Jonathan Wilson, and who scored Martin Lawrence. How are you guys both doing? Are we excited for the return of the Premier League, despite the fact there'll be no one there to see it? Yeah, I'm just, I just would have, could have. Could have done with a longer break, but you know, uh, it is what it is, as as Harry Kane would say, and we uh, uh, we try and maintain energy levels through the end of the Euros. Well, Jonathan, it's the seventh of September, and we were speaking speaking a second ago about your cricket. I think more time off, and the pitches will get even worse. So, you know, you need to get be, need to be doing something <laughs> a little bit better for your uh, for your sporting exploits. Martin, what's going on over at Who Scored at the moment? Must be a busy time. It is, it is. Uh, don't want to give too much away. Um, but yeah, it's very busy. No no time to plan, no time to, to do much at all, really. So yeah, it's all, all a bit manic, but hopefully this is a, this is a one-off. Um, yeah. Fingers crossed. Next time it will be back to normal at the beginning of the season. But let's look now at the betting markets. <clears throat> We're going to start with the Premier League winner, of course, then move on to the kind of top four or without Man City and Liverpool market into the top six, maybe the look at the top half and then down into the relegation battle before touching on the top goal scorer market and then also the always popular sack race. Let's talk first then about the top of the, top of the table. Liverpool absolutely romped home last season by 18 points. It should have been more, but they dropped a few points towards the end of the season. <clears throat> so surely that means, surely they're favourites. Nope. Man City, odds on favourites to win the Premier League next season at around about 8-11. to 11. Uh, Liverpool, 9-4. to four. We'll go into the other teams in this in a second, but let's focus on those top two. Of course, when you're listening to this podcast or watching the video, make sure you download the Odds Checker app. All these prices are the best prices on the app with all the major bookmakers. You can also find the best tips, the best uh, bookie offers. Everything you need is right there. So do download the app now. Jonathan, come to you first here. City odds on favourites, Liverpool 9-4. to four. I mean, do, do you agree with this, this idea that City are going to either make that ground up or Liverpool are going to come back to the pack? Um, I think City will be better and I think Liverpool will be worse. Whether those move sufficiently to take City ahead of them, that's what I'm less sure about. I think the defensive issues City had last season, um, you know, the, the, the nine defeats of seven in the league last season were all fundamentally for the same reason, that they're incredibly vulnerable to that ball in behind the defensive line. I'm not sure signing Nathan Aki will solve that in and of itself. I think there's a, something's gone wrong with their, their, the whole mechanism of their pressing. And clearly personnel were an issue last season at the back. Uh, I think they need more than Ake to solve that. Uh, but I think they've got a problem in midfield as well. If Fernandinho is going to play as a, as a, you know, as a central defender... Uh, without him in midfield, the pressing is not as good. Plus, you know, he's what is he, 35 now? Mm-hmm. So you assume he can't play at that kind of intensity every you know, three and a half days, which is going to be for everybody this season. So I think there's still major questions there. And I think there's even a question about them going forward that um, we're assuming Aguero will come back from his knee injury and be the Aguero you know, he, he's always been. And, you know, he's been a, the most consistent source of goals that they've had. But he is 32. Players can take time to get back after knee surgery. They can never quite get it back, particularly when they're that age. 
And Gabriel Jesus, for all his qualities in terms of his movement, in terms of his pressing, is not an absolute A, you know, a plus finisher. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I think this concerns in all, also three bands of a the team there. While acknowledging they're still a brilliant team and I think they will be better than last season, I think there's still sufficient doubt there to think they, they might not be getting back to that sort of 95-point mark, which last three seasons you've needed to win the title. Martin, that's you know the the possible deficiencies of City as you know an odds-on favourite. Is there anything about Liverpool that suggested last season was was a one-off? I'm, I'm not going to use the word fluke, but given the odds of nine to four, that would suggest that you know people out there, the bookies, the punters, don't see them repeating the trick. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of people that would say that for for their points tally, Liverpool weren't that remarkable in terms of their performances. There's a lot of it was down to their their mentality and stuff like that. There was a lot of arguments that they were actually better the season before. Uh, and I sort of buy into that a little bit. I think, obviously, you can look at the way they ended the season. Uh, they'd already won the league, obviously, so they obviously uh, took the foot off the gas a bit. But even the defeat to Watford before that, when they were sort of when they were under pressure to keep up that sort of unbeaten run, they did have a wobble. Uh, and obviously in the Champions League as well. So they didn't end the season strongly. And it's, it is difficult to make a case that they will push for the same sort of points haul, which is why I think Man City will, like Jonathan says, bridge that gap. Whether they do it to the, enough to sort of overtake them, I agree, is, is going to be very difficult. Um, but I think for Liverpool, a lot, of it, a lot of it rides on Thiago. I think if they sign Thiago then there, were, there weren't many players that could improve that starting eleven, and Thiago is one of those. Um, so if, if Liverpool could could get that many points and then go on to improve their, not their squad, but their starting eleven, uh, then I think, for me, they would still be still be considered favourites. Um, Liverpool 9-4 to four with a host of bookies. Man City 5-6 to six with Betway is the best price. Um Jonathan, just a word from you on Liverpool as well. Would you agree with Martin's assessment there? You know, they, whilst they blitzed the league, I mean, I think there's a, there's a stat around about how many 1-0 wins they had, could, you know, wins by single goal margins, which, you know, in terms of variance could translate into a few draws next season. Is, is there any issue here? I mean, I can, I can hear the Liverpool fans listening to this, shouting at me, saying it's absolute nonsense what I'm saying. Is it nonsense? Uh, look, I think, I think there's 1-0 wins and 1-0 wins. And a lot of Liverpool's one-goal victories were very, very comfortable one-goal victories. Uh, so I, I thought that the way they played sort of through uh, late autumn, early winter last season was genuinely exceptional. I thought the, the way they took Leicester apart, uh, was it was it 4-1 that game at, at the King Power? Mm. Was, uh, which was, was that Boxing Day? It was around Christmas time anyway. Was a, you know, an absolute, you know... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A signature performance. That that was the great performance of that season, and uh, you know, a, a performance that summed up everything that 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 they were good at. Um, my concern would be be trends that I think post sort of you know really from the beginning of this year, although they had that run of victories um, through January and February, their their form they weren't playing as well as they had done. Uh, I think the whole sort of going off to the Club World Cup and coming back. Although they managed that well in the short term, the sort of the break that they got with the you know the winter break and then not playing a first team in the FA Cup, they they sort of seemed to lose a bit of momentum then and never quite regained it for all that they did. Then I can't remember how many straight wins it was in the league, but 
those performances weren't as weren't as impressive. And then even before lockdown, the, the there'd been that stutter. The the Watford game, the Atletico Madrid game, um, the defeat in the cup to to Chelsea. That is right, isn't it? It was Chelsea for lost in the cup. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Uh, uh, so e- even before that, the defeat to Watford in the league, the defeat to Atletico in the Champions League, the defeat to Chelsea in the Cup. And so, you know, the last the last 15 games last season, they only won seven. They weren't that impressive against Arsenal in the Community Shield. After, you know, OK, a very strange... Glorified friendly, yeah. Well, always a glorified friendly, but this season, more than any other season... Mm. It coming six days after Champions League final, and yet somehow so it was close to the previous season's Champions League final and the start of this year's Premier League season. <laughs> so like that that game, I you know, Community Shields are are only ever signposts to anything when it immediately goes terribly wrong for manager, and you have been able to see some of that in the Community Shield. Now I'm not saying we've seen that with Klopp at all, but the fact that they 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 weren't still quite the their best. You do wonder if they can pick up that rhythm straight away, and also the intensity with which they play. Will this sort of compressed season? Presumably, they'll make huge compromises in 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 the, in the League Cup and the FA Cup. They won't play in the first team then, but but still, you just worry. Uh, what you know, can they? Can they? Yeah, a can they pick up that form of, of of sort of December, and B can they maintain that when the games come so frequently. And I also think that they're, they're moving, not not quite yet, but they're moving in a territory where the age profile of a squad becomes an issue. That all three forwards, all three first choice forwards are 28. Mm-hmm. That's clearly fine for this season. It's probably fine for next season. But at some point, there's going to come a need to begin to integrate the likes of Minamino or, or new signings. And when you play, when you if you're picking something that's nowhere near a first choice 11 in the League Cup and the FA Cup, that becomes increasingly difficult to do. So I do think that there is a danger, and it probably doesn't come quite yet, that this Liverpool team faces that huge problem of, of all reaching a you know, reaching the edge of a cliff together. Mm. Um, but that that's probably not quite quite there yet. So looking down the list then, um, in the in the title winner, we've got Chelsea next up at eleven to one. Been unsurprisingly a lot of support for them given the transfer dealings over the past kind of month or so. Uh, Manchester United were getting a lot of attention at the back end of last season. They're now sixteen to one. Arsenal forty to one. Spurs sixty six to one. We'll come on to them later unless either of you want to make a case for why either of them are going to win the league or challenge for the league this season. Um, but starting with Chelsea and United, um, Martin, coming to you first. Do you see those two sides as genuine title challenges or just the best of the rest? I think it's it's so hard to tell. I just think, especially at the start of this season with the schedule, how the sort of pre-season has panned out, it's going to be difficult for any team to be at their best for until maybe the end of this month. Um, so I think that may well play into Chelsea's hands where they've got a lot of players to bed in. And you might say, oh, they they need time to... To gel. Mm. I don't think any of their competitors are going to be yeah. at full strength either. So I think that that um, that plays into their hands potentially quite nicely. And it is it is difficult not to get excited about Chelsea, even as a neutral, mm. even even for the goals they'll probably still concede. They are they're going to be amazing to watch. Um, I can't I, yeah I can't remember a more exciting transfer window, and I'm not even a Chelsea fan. I'm, I'm, I'm like <laughs> a little what, bit giddy about it. What it's about just, Villa's transfer dealings last summer, Martin? Third most yeah. money spent in Europe. Yeah, I don't really want to touch on that. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but yeah, like with, I think 
the Werner signing was massive. And then to add, well, they'd already added Ziyech before that, of course, but to add Havertz, to have Pulisic when he comes back from injury, uh, it's just it's just going to be frightening, that attack. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's difficult not to get excited about them and, and to see some sort of value in them, just because, like I said, I do think the start of the season will be a bit a bit mixed for, for quite a lot of teams. I think you might see quite a few draws where you wouldn't normally uh, for the big sides. Um, so Chelsea, I can I can see value in. Manchester United obviously ended the season very, very strongly. And there's obviously the stat since Bruno arrived, they got the most points. And penalties. Um, and penalties, <laughs> quite, quite crucially. Um, I think, I'm not sure, I'm still not sure they can sustain that level. Uh, like you say, the penalties is a huge. I mean, it, it seems like a just a, an unnecessary dig, but it was a quite remarkable amount yeah. of penalties that they won, and that that's a tactic in a way. They, they to be good at winning penalties, isn't, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but to carry that on over an entire season will be difficult. Um, so I think it's it's more difficult to see them, and I think the the, the obviously the incident with Harry McCoy won't won't help leading up to the season in terms of their sort of defensive preparations. And obviously they, they're keen to add a couple, couple of players. I think they're keen to add a, a defender, if not one centre-back, then maybe a left-back as well. And obviously the Sancho the Sancho debacle, which is great fun. Um, so, yeah, a lot of, again, a lot of it, like, like with Liverpool and Thiago, a lot of it changes, I think, if, if, if Sancho arrives and they obviously become a much more potent attack because that right side is is very unbalanced even with even with Mason Greenwood who's been obviously exceptional I think it's a lot of pressure on him to to, to expect him to to keep up that level of uh, of efficiency in the final third for for an 18 year old uh, who is who is naturally a striker they're, they're basically playing playing three central strikers and uh, getting the best out of them but uh, where that affects the then goes on to affect the midfield is a, is an issue uh, so yeah, I think arguably still their most important player this season will be Nemanja Matic, <laughs> as things stand. So, and I'm not sure he's a he's a top top level. Like there there are games where he's outstanding, and there are games where it just looks like mm-hmm. he can't move. Yeah. And he's so so casual, so languid on it, on the ball. Uh, there there are times when I'm just like, you can overrun him so easily. So I think I think there's a weakness there in their midfield. Um, I think crucially, when you say important, there you mean you know his position, the role he's going to play is most yeah, important. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, that, he's not the, that he'll be the best player, the yeah. standout performer. No. <laughs> but he does. He is very impactful on their results, uh, and obviously his his form will be very important uh, if they don't sign a replacement and if Scott McTominay doesn't turn into a world beater. I'm I'm all, I'm Team Fred still, but um. Oh, yeah. but, Enough of that for another day. Um, I mean, yeah. we. I mean, I, th- I think what what you're saying is right. We're, you know, for United to be challenging right at the very top, we're asking them not only to kind of sustain the unsustainable, both in terms of penalties and in terms of of the um, finishing ability of their strikers. Mainly Mason Greenwood, who seems to you know basically stick every shot into the side netting, which you know not many people can do that. So, um, and then also make up about thirty points on Liverpool too. Um, for Chelsea, I guess it's a whole new team. But I mean, we'll, we'll quickly touch the top four market because you know there used to be a top four, then there was a big six, and now it kind of feels like there's a top four again with City one to twenty-five, uh, Liverpool one to twelve, best price, Manchester United one to two, Chelsea eight to fifteen. Before you get to Arsenal, who are three to one, 
um, in the without Manchester City and Liverpool market. So basically, who wins the league if you take those two out? You've got Manchester United at nine to five, Chelsea at two to one. So pretty much pick and prices between the two, ten to one bar. Um, Jonathan, it's easy for us to kind of look through the, the teams on paper of both United and Chelsea, and their clear qualities are obvious. Um, it's not as easy to look in the dugout and say the same thing. I mean, how, how much of a bearing is that going to have on on the, the the campaigns of those two sides? Well, it's huge. I mean, I think the the big question over Lampard is uh, defensive transition. That uh, they conceded more goals to to fast breaks last season than than any other side in the Premier League, which you know is is an extraordinary statistic given how many goals some of the other teams conceded. <laughs> uh, and I think in terms of uh, cross set plays, the corners or wide free kicks, there's only Norwich and Villa conceded more, which again, given they're conceding, you know, 60% more goals than Chelsea, is a remarkable stat. And it was the same for Lampard at Derby, that his Derby side conceded a high proportion of goals to fast breaks than any other team in the Championship that season. So that's a massive issue. Now, you would think that signing somebody like, well, both both Werner and Havertz are used to playing, you know, you have a classic Bundesliga counter-pressing game. Mm. That should help. But they still need direction. So, so my my the, the so the red flag that's been waving from the start for me about Lampard as a manager is those two things: counter pressing, defensive transition, and also defending cross set plays. They're both the way you get good at them is detailed training ground work. And if you're failing on both of those, maybe it's personnel. You know that that can happen. Yeah. If you if you've got a squad who can't defend, you've got a squad who can't defend. And you do look at the, the centre-backs they had last season and you say, yeah, OK, there's none of them are sort of really authoritative. And that point Lampard made after the defeat at West Ham saying he didn't have tall enough players, yeah, there's a bit of mockery of that because you can compare heights and his team is not particularly short. But there is sort of like a, uh, a moral height that defenders have that, you know, a six foot two centre-back can appear six foot six because of yeah. his presence, because of his timing of jumps, because of the way he projects himself and you would look at people like Rudiger and uh, Christensen uh, Tamori and, and you would say yeah they probably don't quite have that now obviously bringing in Thiago Silva will absolutely help that with the caveat that he's 35 that there is a, a worrying history of people coming to the Premier League in their mid-30s or, or over the age of 30 for the first time and never quite adapting to the specific demands of the Premier League Presumably, he's not going to be able to play every game. You would think there will be issues of pace that he may struggle with. Uh, but he does have that those leadership qualities that maybe they lack at the back. Uh, Malang Sar, you know, obviously a much younger player, uh, highly promising. Um, and, and so you can see kind of getting the two together, it, it sort of makes sense of somebody for the here and now and somebody who, who hopefully will will develop into that. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I think Chelsea are hugely exciting next season. I think they'll be great to watch, but I'm not quite sure they've solved the problems that really undermine them next season. That the goals they, they they will add may win them two or three more games, but the issues are really at the other end. And it, it's the problem when you're not when it's not working in defensive transition is it's very hard to pinpoint where the at which point in the team the issue comes. There's something to do with the overall structure, um, and it may even be as simple as uh, N'Golo Kante having his poorest season since he came to England. And, of course, he had all those issues in France with the the various legal battles last season. You you never quite know what bearing that has. They're still not resolved. Um, So, 
Uh, yeah, there were problems there, and and, and Kepa, of course, remains a problem. Uh, that you know, no team's ever won the championship with a hologram in goal. I was going to say he's a massive problem, but I think using the word massive in Kepa doesn't really allow Well, the one thing I would say about that as well is uh, I, th- I, think he, I think he conceded 45% of all shots on target last season. I think, think that's, that's the stat, uh, which is the worst stat of any keeper since that stat started to be collected. Mm. But the question I'd have is why was it so much lower last season than ever before? And you look at uh, Willy Caballero, the games he played last season, and he also suffered sort of a 15-point drop-off. So that suggests it's not actually just the, an issue of confidence or ability or form with the keeper. That there's something in the way Chelsea play that exposes keepers to shots that are likely to go in. Higher probability shots. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I don't think it's as simple as just saying, oh, get rid of Kepa, get in somebody better, and mm. that issue suddenly resolved. I, I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. And, and I guess, you know, you mentioned the fast breaks. It does feel like throughout Lampard's Chelsea and the Derby team he had as well, basically press for, for pressing sake. They, that is drilled into them rather than being a particularly, um, you know, uh, an idea of how to win the ball back and then defend and sit deeper. So if you are conceding loads of chances on the break, naturally they're going to be high probability chances. Um, I'm not going to mention XG because people get upset, but but that's yeah. kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, and then, then, then Solskjaer, um, and I'll, be, I'll be much brief about Solskjaer, but look, he's 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 okay as a coach. He's fine. Uh, United, when they play against good sides, I mean, sit deep and play on the break. They're fine at that. They've got great pace going forward. But that's kind of you'd expect the manager to be able to do that. That's nothing kind of particularly dramatic or exciting. The issue, I think, is in structured attacking, and you really saw that against Sevilla in the Europa League semi final. Mm. Thought that that they kept, you know, they had loads of possession. But they didn't seem to have that, that cohesiveness, that fluency that the very best teams have. Uh, and that would be a worry for me. And I think also you saw by, by the time you got to the very end of the season, uh, you know, the FA Cup semi-final and then into the, the Europa League, they just looked exhausted. You know, you'd had the same first eleven playing constantly for, you know, post, post-shutdown. And to an extent, OK, it was a gamble he took. This is my first choice eleven. I can trust them. We'll keep going and we'll get enough points to get in the top four, which was the target, and he achieved that. So, to an extent, the gamble worked. You can't do that over a season. Now, bringing in van der Beek obviously gives him a load of... You know, he's so versatile, he can play anywhere in midfield. Mm. So, it, it means they're not going to have to keep playing those same three midfielders. But I, I, when, they were, when they first started going after Sancho, I said, well, why do they need Sancho? That's surely not the priority. Obviously, anybody wants Sancho, but, you know, but, but that didn't seem an obvious weakness in the team. But then you think about it and you think, actually, yeah, they've only really got three forwards you can trust. Yeah. Um, and and you so can play prob- the left or the right. And yeah, you can play either side. You'd probably play through the middle if you really wanted them to. But, you know, as, as Martin said, they've got three centre forwards there anyway, so you wouldn't need to do that. Um, so they probably do need another forward just to rotate a bit. And then I think they need another centre back and another left back. So, and there's De Gea's form, which, I mean, he played very well against Germany on uh, whichever night that was. Um, but there's still a question mark over his form. So I, I can't see them mounting a serious challenge. Uh, whether they can put together enough good results to, to sort of take third and, and, and win the, the you know, title yeah. for that city yeah. in Liverpool, maybe, yeah, but I wouldn't be confident. Well, that opens up some interesting um, markets here then because, Martin, you've just had Jonathan there kind of pour cold water maybe on the hopes of, of United and Chelsea in terms of a title challenge. Um, but then, as I mentioned, in the top four market, you've got Arsenal a three to one. That's with Hills. Tottenham seven to two with Hills. Wolves thirteen to two. Leicester ten to one. 
um, Everton 20 to 1, Leeds 25 to 1. I'm not going to go down further than that at the moment unless there's anyone you want to flag, unless it's Aston Villa. Um, but, you know, who who do we see as being not only the best of the rest, but maybe somebody who can gate crash that top four? Uh, it doesn't pain me to say it, but um, <laughs> I would say I would, I'd fancy Tottenham personally. Uh, n- not because they showed great progression under Mourinho or anything like that. I think they've been very, very smart in the transfer window to now. I think Hoiberg and, and Matt Doherty are both are both really sensible signings, mm. which is probably not what Tottenham have looked to do uh, in recent windows. And I think I think they improved the team a fair a fair deal. Uh, so I think I think those those will strengthen them, and I just think obviously so much of their issues began and ended with Harry Kane being injured last season, and that obviously is a sort of annual thing. So they they still need that they still need that standing. And that's their sort of their problem. Every transfer window is finding a good enough player who's happy to be a second choice striker, and that's it's not an easy thing to do. But I think there are options out there, and if they can pick up someone, even someone like Mario Mandzukic, I think would be a would be a really smart signing for Tottenham. He's a free agent now, um, but they if they get that, if they can if they can find another striker that can stand in for Harry Kane's sort of perennial injury. Uh, issues, then then they're a good case. Arsenal, it's tough. They've obviously they've they've obviously put in some good performances and um, and I would say have improved under Mar- Arteta now. I think that was hard to say. I think George, obviously, you had an opinion on that a mm. while back, but I think I think that was hard to say at the time that they, that he was getting his message across necessarily. But I think we are seeing that slightly more now. Uh, so they're a good case. I think Leicester, you started to see. Perhaps they're not their natural level because they were better than they they're better than they were performing at the end of last season. But they were sort of meeting towards that sort of natural level. I don't think they're 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 a top four side personally. It's, it's, it's pretty stark that they are though. You know they're ten to one for top four, and they looked mm-hmm. they, look, they looked a lock for top four yeah. basically throughout the whole season until the wheels really fell off. Is that a bit of an overreaction? It could be. Yeah, it could be because. Like I said, Arsenal and Tottenham, you can't you can't rely on them. I do think, like you like you said, it it, it has become more of a top four again now. So it's difficult to make a case for for one of those other sides to break in. My lean at the moment would just be towards Tottenham narrowly. I think. Jonathan, same question to you. Who do you think is is best set to, to crash the party? Well, I think Arteta's done a remarkable job, and I think Arsenal are playing with with more sort of purpose and more more cohesiveness than they have done. I mean, for, I don't know, seven or eight years, probably. Um, but there's questions about squad depth. And I think there's huge questions about just other things going on at the club, which which just seems a mess. And you know, so many worrying factors there. Uh, but on the pitch, they, you know, they, they look great. And, and the fact that they've they've suddenly started getting results against big teams, which is you know, what they weren't doing. Um, so... I, I think it's entirely possible they could they could get in the top four, but three you said three to one for us. Mm, yeah, I mean that just feels a bit short, particularly if Tottenham are seven to two. Yeah. I, it sort of feels like a fifty-fifty call to me between Arsenal and Tottenham. If Tottenham are longer, well, obviously back them. Leicester, I think, is a really interesting thing because um, I sort of feel it, it's a classic problem you, you sometimes get of of of, t- of time frame. Over what time frame do we judge a team? So why does it matter Leicester picked up so many points in the first half of last season, so few in the second half of last season? 
Yeah, the start of last season, the aim would have been get into Europe and improve on the previous season. Well, they did both of those things, and that therefore makes it a successful season. But there's such a sense of, of anticlimax because of the way they, they tailed off. And you sort of think, is, is, is that telling off? Is it regression to the mean? Is it something more serious than that? Is it, um, is it the squad being found out? I mean, you think of things like the, the game when they lost to Tottenham, lost 3-0 to Tottenham. And basically, it's because they end up having to play Wes Morgan at centre-back. Because Soyuncu was suspended. I think they had one other player was injured. So, so Wes Morgan comes in. And they still play a high line. And guess what? If you pop the ball in behind Wes Morgan, he can't turn fast <laughs> enough to catch Harry Kane. Or Sun Hyung Min. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it, it, is that sort of uh, decline towards the end of the season? Is that just because the you know the squad is fairly sort of slender? Um, is it because players have lost faith in 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 Rogers and I, and it's I I I just don't know about that and I I never quite know where, you know whether the sort of shifts of momentum we should take seriously or whether we should sort of say look the season as a whole they achieved their objectives. Um, I mean, clearly, if they start off as they did last season, and ten to one's going to look a very good price for them to get get top four. But it it sort of feels like they're a, a, a you know top six, top seven side. Wolves, I think, are the interesting one. Mm, that's uh, just, just because they've they were so good at times last season, and in the end, I think just sort of ran out of steam because they, their, their squad's not not huge. But they're not going to have the Europa League this season. Their, you know, their league season this season will take less than a year, which is going to be a great boost for them. Um, and, and so having no European football, you sort of think, well, they, they should be able to improve on their league form by five or ten points. And so what, what price were Wolves to get in the top four? 13 to two. 13 to two, OK. Mm. Uh, but still, that, that, that I think is, is mildly attractive. Mildly attractive, 13 to two. So kind of making cases, I guess, for, for Arsenal and Wolves, but... I think what we're saying maybe is the market's got it just about right, maybe, um, there. Um, there is also, I'll just mention the prices as well, either without Man City or Liverpool market, um, with United 9-5, to five, Chelsea 2-1, to one, Arsenal and Spurs both 10-1, to one, Wolves 22-1, to one, Leicester 33-1. to one. Um, So you can see there that you know the prices get pretty big pretty quickly. So if you do fancy Arsenal to really make a fist of it, or Tottenham, as Martin said, 10-1 to one to beat both United and Chelsea could be the way to go. And before we, we kind of tackle the bottom end of the table, we'll run through a few of the clubs who, you know, are just below that chasing pack. Um, we can look mainly, I guess, at the top six market here. Um, on the basis of what you just said there, Jonathan, I guess the five to two about Wolves top six could could appeal more than the 13 to two about um, about top four. Yeah, I mean, basically, that's kind of five to two on can they finish ahead of Leicester? Mm. Well, you'd really hope they could. And then they also have a chance of finishing ahead of some other teams if they have disappointing seasons. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Five to two on, on Wolves to finish in the top six, I think, is feels quite attractive to me. Um, the, the group below, we've got Everton, who are five to one for a top six finish or 20 to one for a top four finish. Carlo Ancelotti bringing in his, uh, you know, he, he normally comes into clubs with um, high reputation, eight older players. He didn't at Everton, so he decided to bring him in himself in, in Ireland. <laughs> and uh, and James Rodriguez seemingly going to be um, announced fairly soon as well. Um, I think a lot of Everton fans are pretty excited about what's going on there. Uh, Leeds are fourteen to one, um, top six, uh, and uh, I think thirty-three to one, twenty-five to one, top four. Um, Going to be really interesting to see Marcelo Bielsa's Leeds this coming season. Um, I do think, despite you know the the cult of Bielsa and the you know the all the talk about him, I do kind of think they're a little bit undervalued in the market still. I mean, they were over the course of two years the best. You know, I, I covered the championship. 
a fair amount. And they're the best team we've seen in the championship by far over those two years. And you look at what Sheffield United did last season coming up, playing that similar kind of um, very on-brand style of football. Um, there could be something to do there, but I'll ask you about them in a second. And then Southampton uh, are also 14-1 to one to finish in the top six and are 35-1 uh, to one in the top four. Um, Martin, come to you first out of those three. Take your pick. Everton leads Saints. Who do you want to talk about? Uh, let's go for Leeds, I guess. <laughs> um, I think yeah, I, th- I agree with you. It, it, there's a bit. It feels a bit like Wolves to me when they came up. Wolves were so comfortably the best team in the championship when they came up. And I think that's kind of the case with, with Leeds, like you say, over the last two seasons. I think this season a lot of people would make a case for for Brentford being being close to them, but obviously they didn't. They they didn't have the sort of mental strength to make it over the line. And I wouldn't have fancied them in the Premier League to to push as high as Leeds, just because. This, they're so drilled, they're so intense, and I think that'll be that will be a shock to to some of the teams in the in the Premier League. Not a shock because they know that's going to happen, but just actually actually dealing with it, actually coping with that. Uh, Leeds are, are are quite unique side in that sense, and it's it's strange to say because Wolves, you, you looked at them and they came up and they had they had big big players like Ruben Neves and players like that who were like how how is he in the Championship? Leeds don't really have that. They're just an incredibly well-coached team. They, if you look at their squad, if you put a, a different manager to that team, you'd be like, no, they're going straight back down. Mm-hmm. I think I think you'd be safe to say that. I think you're looking at sort of. I know Pablo Hernandez is a is an absolute hero hero at Leeds, but what he did at Swansea and his age and stuff like that, relying on him on, under another coach and players like that would be would be almost crazy. But with Bielsa, it's just it's just a marriage made in heaven. That, that team and that coach at the moment and they they are certainly one to watch I can't say that I've watched enough of them this season uh, to know how they progressed from the previous season when Aston Villa were in the championship and I saw a lot more of them um, so I don't they, be the man they, to talk about how yeah, they, they how they, they might have changed this season but uh, yeah I, I know that obviously they were still very very strong so yeah they do they do feel a bit like Wolves in that in the sense that they're they're a cut above Unlike other sort of promoted teams have been in the last sort of well since the in the Premier League era, I'd say uh, Wolves and Leeds just look like that class act that will will adapt to the Premier League quite seamlessly, and Wolves obviously did. Um, so I, I do like the look of Leeds, but I do think that I'd, again some of their signings a decent amount of money on Rodrigo, who's not not a goal scorer. Patrick Bamford is obviously uh, not a great finisher of chances um of easy so, chances he's a good finisher of, of hard chances of yeah. easy chances yeah so I, I know a lot of people are saying rodrigo's a one of those team a team forward and he, he'll link the play and that he'll be an important player in that sense and maybe bamford was was that to an extent last season but i still think they could have got more for their money in that regard and obviously they've got money they they, they are improving their squad i think ben white is will be a big big blow and how how Robin Robin Cox sort of fills that fills that void will be important. Uh, whether he can sort of step up straight away, and for any new player coming into a BL society is going to be a shock to the system. So there's probably more of the sort of factor of how how easily and how quickly they can sort of integrate into the side. Um, but he's not had any problems in the past, so I'm not going to question Marcelo Bielsa at least. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, that would be my angle, I guess. 
Uh, Leeds also nine to four to finish in the top half, which might be the way to go if you want to get behind Leeds. Um, Jonathan, I'll say the same to you. You can give your your tuppence on Leeds to us as well, but also Everton and Saints. Yeah, I mean Everton. If if I were an Everton fan, I'd be massively excited at the minute. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, the you could see what Ancelotti was doing. You know, second half of last season, uh, that very narrow, quite sterile midfield four, and. I, I, you sort of looked at that and thought that's not really an Ancelotti way of playing to, to be quite so dull through midfield but I think it's probably a case that that's what he had available and you have the, the three big signings or the two big signings he's made and the one who appears to be about to make to bring in uh, De Cure and Allen and James you know, that's, that suddenly gives far greater dynamism to that midfield um, yeah, James it, it's one of those yeah. The, the the golden boot winner in 2014 scored a brilliant goal against Uruguay, the most sort of exciting player of his generation. And then he spent six years with it not quite working out for him, partly because of injuries, partly because of coaches who didn't have faith in him. But Ancelotti is the coach who, who has got the best out of him. His best season was 14-15 at Real Madrid. He got 13 goals, 13 assists. Uh, his best season after that was uh, his first season at Bayern when Ancelotti was sacked in the September. So it's only you know sort of six weeks or so he played mm. under him there. But still, Ancelotti has has got the best out of him. So all of that is hugely exciting. And for for Everton, the team who, you know, an upper mid-table Premier League team, with obviously huge potential in the new stadium and everything, but that's where they are at the minute. For them to get a player of that stature at the age of 29 is massively exciting. However, it's also massively expensive. Even though his transfer fee is only about 20 million, his wages will be huge. Now, Everton are the 19th wealthiest team in the world by revenue. If you look at the wow. 20 richest teams in the world, uh, they have the highest wages to turnover ratio. It's 85%. But no other team in the top 20 are in the 80s. There's only three others have more than 66%. So that 85%, and that's before Allen, who's 29 and on high wages, and Hammers and Dekure. Jesus. That is a huge, huge, huge warning sign. And so you sort of think, what's what's the plan here? What's the end game of this? Are they ga- are they gambling on getting Champions League football? Is that why they think they're going to make this back, or is there going to be a massive retrenchment next summer if they don't get there? Because that's really eighty five percent is really really dangerous. And if there's no fans as well, then that those that turnover the, the, the sorry, revenue is going to drop. So that's become an even higher percentage of of turnover. So excitement, but this is a big big gamble, and it's part partly. Um, the way Everton have gone about things is they keep signing players from big clubs. Mm. So they, they, they don't go and sign the 22-year-old promising player from Augsburg. With a high, with a high resale value, yeah. Yeah, they, they, yeah they, so Luca Dean has been great for them and is a, is a really, really good fullback. But they get him from Barcelona, so his wages are high. Uh, Moise Ken, clearly enormously talented, although it didn't really work for him last season, but they've signed him from Juventus. Yeri Mina, uh, but even people like Walcott, Iwobi, they're signing them, you know, it's certainly in Walcott's case, on the way down from a big mm. club. In Wobie's case, mm, you, you wonder if, how much more development he's got. Uh, so that's my huge concern about him. It's not really on the playing side, it's on the financial side. And I think they pretty rapidly have to start scouting people in their late teens and kind of making a bit of profit on that. So a word, word of warning there from Jonathan, but also a time of excitement for Everton. We're going to have to move on now. So sorry to Saints fans, but they are you are 13 to 8 to finish in the top half. Um, West Ham are 3 to 1. Sheffield United 130. 
Brighton 7-2. Stop me if any of those catch um, your fancy, both of you. But otherwise, we'll move on to the relegation market. And so I guess if we haven't spoken about your team so far, you can cross your fingers that we don't speak about them now. Um, West Brom are 11-10, to 10, uh, joint favourites with Fulham. Um, Aston Villa 2-1, Newcastle 9-4 alongside Crystal Palace, who are also 9-4. Burnley 3-1, Sheffield United, Brighton and Leeds all 4-1. West Ham 9-2, Southampton 9-1. And then we're getting into the 20s, 25-1 Everton, 40-1 Leicester. Um, Martin, start with the top two. West Brom and Fulham, two promoted sides from last season from the Championship. Fulham seem to have uh, learnt from their last stay in the Premier League by not completely buying a whole new team um, from around the world for 100 odd million quid. And West Brom have managed to keep Grady Diangana, which has been a transfer that has got a lot more press than a usual transfer between West Ham and West Brom has done due to the reaction from Mark Noble and Jack Wilshire. Um, if, I mean, what do we make of their chances of staying up this season? I think West Brom, the fact that their level price with Fulham is perhaps a bit misleading they were they were obviously over the course of the season they were a considerably better side than Fulham I'd say uh, Fulham like they did uh, when they came up they ended the season pretty well and I think you you have to sort of admire and you have to like Scott Parker really and, and the job that he's done and obviously he made a lot of re, what was a rebuilding of the sort of mentality within the squad rather than sort of, of coaching there was a, there was a big issue in terms of they were just a losing side and he had to turn that around. So if he has done that, uh, we'll see in the Premier League uh, at least. Um, but yeah, their, their squad is underwhelming, I would say, at this level, uh, relatively imbalanced. Uh, I think you're looking at players like uh, they'll probably go out and buy a, a decent centre back or whatever. But if you're looking at players like Tim Ream and, and players like that, Michael Hector who are very solid championship players, like very decent defenders. But then, obviously, Ream in, in the Premier League got found out massively. Uh, I think a lot of their players were, were found out uh, quite badly in, in that season uh, and didn't make the step up. Obviously, they, they did make a lot of signings that year. And I think the sort of transition this year will be kinder to them. Like I say, I think the, the point where this the start of this season will be a bit a bit of a strange one. I think we'll probably play into play into the potentially play into the favour of the of the promoted sides in terms of not getting left behind early on. Um, I think they'll pick up points, but I think West Brom are the better side and keeping hold of Dean Garner and obviously Mateus Pereira is a very mm. very good player. Yeah, uh, a, a easily a top half Premier League player, I'd say. Uh, so getting him for the money they, that they did, obviously that was already agreed in his loan. But that's a that's a Obviously, a great signing. There was that was always going to happen, but it did drag on a little bit. But they they do have exciting players in attack. It's just leading that attack. They do not have exciting players as things stand. You've still got is it Charlie Austin? He's Charlie been, Austin, Harrison Carnu, and Kenneth yeah. Sahor. Although yeah. there is talk that Carlin Grant could be on his way. Yeah, Carlin Grant would would be a decent signing. Obviously, they've been talked talked about um, Troy Deeney as well, uh, and maybe they maybe they do need that sort of. That experience, experience head through the middle where obviously you've got uh, Pereira and Diangana in support and they don't have Premier League experience per se. Obviously, Diangana has a, has a little bit, but not a great deal. Uh, the signing of a striker for that team will be crucial, I think, uh, for them to have any chance. 
because they, they'll be solid enough. They had a decent defensive record last season. I think they can maintain that. They're, they're sort of experienced sort of midfield base and players that they have should help. Uh, whereas Fulham, you're, I just think you're relying on players that have proven to be good championship players and un, are proven to fail at Premier League level. Uh, obviously, Knockart, players, players like that, Tom, Tom yeah, Kearney, yeah. excellent, excellent championship player didn't make the step up well enough. Uh, so I can just I, hear that. I can hear the Fulham fans saying, like, we, last time we were here, we tried to buy Premier League quality players and now we're being panned for sticking with our championship lads. Like, what are we meant to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I just think, I'm not saying that they can't stay up. They definitely can. They're, they're not, they're not, I don't think they're a team that are cut adrift massively. Um, but they, they would be my sort of favourites for relegation, as it were, ahead of West Brom, given that they're the same given that they're the same price, and then you come on to Villa after that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, Jonathan, we'll ignore Villa because they're Martin's team. And, and naturally, um, and I think we can trust him not to be overly biased. And, and he's closer to what's going on there than, than, than we are. So we'll come back to you on that. But you've got a clutch of teams behind them um, with Newcastle, who are 9-4, to four, who haven't done much business yet. But it seems likely they're going to be signing Callum Wilson, Jamal Lewis. Um, and Ryan Fraser, which all seem like pretty good signings. And they obviously had a, a really good spell under Steve Bruce after the, the, the COVID break, where they looked like a completely different team. That that kind of low block was gone, and they played some really decent stuff. Uh, Crystal Palace are 9-4 to four as well, who've managed to keep hold of Wilfred Zaha. They brought in Abere Eze from QPR, who's a player that I absolutely adore, and I can't wait to see him playing in the Premier League. Um, Burnley are at 3-1. to one. The same old people will tip Burnley to go down every year. The same old people will probably end up looking silly, um, but in the hands of Sean Dyche. So, and then Sheffield United at four to one, Brighton at four to one, and Leeds at four to one. Sheffield United had a brilliant season last season, and they look like they're going to be adding a few decent additions in the, in the coming days. Brighton four to one will, I'm sure, appeal to many. Which of those groups do you think look the most vulnerable? Oh, well, okay, Leeds. I think are fascinating because. No, and there's no other team in the division where the parameters are so wide. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's totally conceivable they could finish fifth. Yeah. I mean, just okay, just about conceivable they could finish fifth. <laughs> it's also conceivable things go massively wrong really early. Bielsa walks out in a strop and thing falls apart and they finish bottom 20 mm. points adrift. Those two things are both possible. I suspect they'll be around about 10th, as in halfway in between those. Uh, so Leeds at 4 to 1 is not quite long enough to tempt me. Uh, I think Bielsa's settled enough that the, the, the sort of you're not going to get the, the combustion we've seen from him before. Uh, I think West Ham... Um, uh, 9-2. 9-2, yeah. I mean, that that seems quite generous to me. Um, I am not convinced at all by David Moyes as a manager in the modern game. Um, I remember towards the end of last season, I wrote a piece. Uh, so this might have changed in the last two games last season. I, I do offer this with that caveat. But there was not a single time he changed the game positively with a substitution, with his first substitution, sorry. So, yeah, if they were drawing when he made his first substitution, they would either draw or lose. He never turned a draw into a win. They were, and frequently wins turned into draws or turned into defeats. So, and we saw that at Sunderland as well, that his, his substitutions made very, very little positive difference. Um they, they they sort of just sort of feel there's a tension there, right? There's there's Moyes is kind of good at the old fashioned values of you know keeping it fairly solid, working on set plays, which is a perfectly that's a fine way to play if your ambitions are sort of staying up lower mid table. 
and that's why I think Steve Bruce is good at it in Newcastle. And I think Newcastle almost certainly will be fine. Um, and I think they're probably better last than credit for. Um, and even their own fans, I think, for, for various totally understandable reasons about the, you know, the dissatisfaction with, with Mike Ashley, uh, are inclined to look on the negative side. Um, but uh, yeah, there's, there's a tension there at West Ham that I think they had the eight ties wage bill last season. Mm. And they clearly see themselves, and with the London Stadium, they should see themselves as being a team that should be at least Europa League challenging. And so they signed people like Sebastian Aller, who had proved himself a very good player in, in Germany. But then they don't really play him in the same way. They don't get players to support him. And then there's this frustration, this sort of, you know, £40 million waste. And it's, well, you haven't really used him right. And then the people like Felipe Anderson, who, it's, you know, it's a bit of the same as the Everton problem, of signing players above your grade with the expectation of, or the hope of, the aspiration of, of sort of lifting your club to meet their level. But then when things don't go right, that type of player immediately sort of like, what am I doing here? And they start to look for the exit. That's not me to blame them. I, I completely understand why you would do that. And if you then appointed David Moyes as the manager, somebody like Felipe Anderson presumably looks at David Moyes and thinks, I don't, don't really. This isn't, this isn't the football I dreamed of playing at the peak of my career. No. So uh, you know, I think that tension makes them very, very vulnerable and they need to work out which of the two they are. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, and they've got a very, very difficult start. Yeah, they do. Things could go badly wrong for, for West Ham pretty quickly. And then, what, does does Moyes get sacked in October if they're sort of bottom three, bottom four? Uh, and then you've you got a whole new whole new start. So I, I think in 92, West Ham are, 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 are worth backing. Um, but I mean, I think, I think West Brom and Fulham, if Fulham, to, to answer your question about what are they meant to do, are they meant to stick with the same players or are they meant to, to sign stars? They're meant to have not signed the stars last time. Because what you've got, and as a Sunderland fan, I really, really understand this. You've got a load of players who are actually good enough to be lower half Premier League players who are yeah. carrying this mental baggage of what happened to them last time. And that means that when things start to go wrong, it doesn't matter how mentally tough you are or you know, how, how good a player, how professional you are, you've got that nagging away in the back of your mind of, oh, God, it's happening again. And you start to doubt yourself. It's bound to happen. So if Fulham get off to a poor start, there's a whole load of players who've been there before who didn't get out of it before. And there's no reason to think they'll be able to do it any differently this time. In fact, there's less reason to think they'll be able to do it differently this time. So concerns for Fulham there. Um, we, I would say, and, and West Brom, just to touch on that, I, you know, yeah. I, think, I think defensively they'll be fine this year. Have they got enough firepower to get goals? Yeah, well, hopefully, West Brom fans hoping they do add a striker fairly soon um, because that role, I mean, that position, Harry Robson kind of did a good job there last season, but not a goal scorer. And Charlie Austin, I don't think these days is the person you want to be relying on for goals in the Premier League. Um, Martin, come to you now quickly on Villa. We're, we're approaching the hour mark, so we're going to have to rattle through these last ones pretty quickly. But um, how are you feeling? A two-to-one for relegation. Uh, does that seem fair to you? It does. It does seem a fair price at the moment. You'd have to say, just based on the fact that there's been so little transfer activity. I think Villa are one of those clubs where it could change massively between now and the and the end of the transfer window. There was there's talk of the there being the sort of budget to spend the same amount that they did last time, over £100 million, and they desperately need attacking reinforcements, and they haven't made that yet. And I think what they did last summer, although they spent a lot of money, what they did, they, they got players in very, very early, 
uh, to try and bed them in. And it is becoming increasingly worrying, uh, the fact that there's been so few through the door at this time. I think the fact that uh, Villa have got that sort of blank on the first game week is turning into a godsend now. And maybe that's playing into their sort of thinking a little bit in terms of not wanting to rush transfers. Um but to have not added a strike, like to not have a striker, Wesley's still not fit. Ali Samata is not a Premier League striker. We saw that. Keenan Davies is not is not a is not a Premier League striker. Might be good enough as a as a sort of stand-in to come off the bench. But I think even perhaps even more worrying is you you've got Amuero Ghazi and Trezeguet competing on that right flank, and they're both incredibly inconsistent. And you're relying on one of them to be in form at, at any one time, and the other one to be be the one that's struggling but last season a lot of the time they were both struggling uh, so the links to Ollie Watkins make a huge amount of sense in the sense that he can he can play wide and he can play through the middle and Dean Smith signed him but the fact that that hasn't happened yet is getting quite worrying I think Villa fans were expecting Brentford to sign Ivan Tony and then Watkins gets done. But it sounds like Brentford, he might have an option to be Harry Kane's understudy. Yeah, yeah, and Brentford have reportedly up their asking price post signing Ivan Tony, which is, is, I think for Villa it's, it's it's baffled them a little bit. And I think the fact that it's become known that they have a lot of transfer budget is is uh, hindering them in the market. And I know they're trying to be quite secretive about their signings this summer under the new uh, sporting director Johan Langer. Um, but it's it's very very quiet, and that is a concern. And yeah, it, it, it's it's tough to to make a case for Villa to stay up as things stand. I think Matty Cash is a decent addition. I think he's possibly the best right back in the Championship last season. In what was his first season at right back, uh, so I think he's a decent addition. But he's not what Villa needed necessarily. Um, so yeah, the the lack of attacking reinforcements and the whole the whole Jack Grealish. Thing. I, I, I can't, obviously I can't see him leaving now, but how he plays, how his mentality is at this point, uh, having kept Villa up and ultimately stopped himself from leaving the club when he, I think it's pretty obvious he did want to leave. Uh, how he comes into this season and whether he can go again with all the England stuff and all that, whether whether <laughs> whether he can play for Villa and get in the England team is difficult. Um, so a lot of uh, Seems so obvious, but a lot relies on Jack Grealish. Um, so yeah, well, I, I, I feel like me and you should should have a chat after this and just launch our own Jack Grealish podcast. I mean, yeah. just, every, every week we could just talk about Jack and what's going on in England yeah. and Villa. I think the price at the moment is is fair because because of the transfer inactivity, so to speak. But like I said, it's something that could change massively for Villa. I think what's holding them back is their wage structure, but that is a another discussion for another time. <laughs> um, before we move on to the last two markets, I'm just going to make a quick case for, for a club that I really like in Brighton at 4-1. Um, I really like um, Graham Potter as a manager. I think he's a great coach and I think he's an exciting um, you know, an exciting manager who'll go on to to bigger things with or without Brighton in the future. But a 4-1 alongside Sheffield United and Leeds, um, a bigger price than, than Burnley. Um, it looked for, a, for quite a long time last season like they would be getting relegated um, they haven't made many additions uh, on top of last season, really. Adam Lallana comes in. He's going to be playing, um, as I mentioned a couple of months ago. I'd like to have a market where Adam Lallana to make the most passes in the Premier League next season because he's just going to be standing in the, in the centre circle, uh, popping the ball around. But it just seems like a big price for a side who haven't really added anything from last season. They've still got a brilliant um, group of centre-backs and they've added to that with Ben White coming back from Leeds. 
but I would be very surprised if you don't get a decent run for your money um, at four to one because I still think in the position that Brighton are in as a club, it's not too different to when Chris Hutton was there, and I think you know securing safety whilst playing um, the brand of football that Potter's trying to implement would still be a job well done. So um, fingers crossed I'm wrong for Brighton fans, but I just think there might be a bit of juice in that price myself. Um, we'll go on now to, and I was just going to say, because Southampton are basically the only club we haven't mentioned, um, right bang in the middle. So all I'm going to do is just ask you, would you rather bat them at 13 to 8 for a top half finish or at 4 to 7 um, for a bottom half finish? Martin, you first. Neither. Uh, top, top half. <laughs> I'll top top I think that well, they're not going to go down. They're hundred percent not going to go down. So, okay. and there is a chance that they could get top ten. So, yeah. and Jonathan, oh, sorry, we have to do some counting. So, <laughs> Liverpool, City, Chelsea, United, yeah. there's four. Arsenal, Tottenham, yeah. will finish above them. Wolves will finish above them. Then you got Leicester, Everton, Leeds, West Ham. Yeah. Around. Well, Everton, I think will finish above them. Leicester probably won't. Leeds, mm. thirteen to eight to finish top half. Yeah. Yeah, I I take that. Yeah. Okay. Good news, Samson. Fans. Oh, what, what, can I can I back them to be tenth exactly? <laughs> yeah, that's I, I, I have I have a look after the because uh, because maybe I'm maybe I'm looking to dodge some finishing tenth or eleventh. You're testing my uh, my ability to find these markets as quickly as you as you want by asking for that. Um, we'll Chef, to... No, just Sheffield United. I think are really interesting because obviously they were yeah. so good last season, and it was I don't want to say it was surprising because we knew how they would play, but it was certainly surprising just how effective that was. And I, it's a, I always think it's a fascinating thing when it, and it happens increasingly rarely when a team comes up and they do something a little bit different, a little bit new. And are they able to evolve as teams see them play and work out you know, what they're doing? Um, and, and maybe maybe Chris Wilder and Alan Nil you know, are sort of have a sort of infinite imagination where they can keep on finding new tweaks. Or maybe everybody's going, oh, yeah, OK, you're doing that. Well, this is how we stop it. And they... They they plummet, so you know they are going a long way back here. But the 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 sort of the gold standard of that is Ipswich, mm. when they won the title under Alf Ramsey, and the next season so that was what sixty one two, and they were uh, they played with a withdrawn left winger, which nobody knew how to deal with, and obviously things were very different then because far less stuff was on TV, no video analysis, nothing like that, so you know, people caught up much more slowly. But by the the, the first game of the next season, they lose Charity Shield five uh, nil or five one to Tottenham. And they're in the relegation places when Rams took the England job in in the March March sixty three. So, if you get worked out, you can plummet. So Sheffield United, I think it's really interesting to see how they go next season. Sheffield United, um, an interesting one to keep an eye on. Certainly, as I say, I think they're going to be announcing three or four new signings in the next forty eight hours. A couple of fullbacks from Derby, um, and a couple others onto the top goal scorer market, and it's the likely quartet at the top. Mo Salah is eleven to two favourite ahead of. Harry Kane and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang at 6-1, to one, despite the fact Aubameyang has been listed as a midfielder on fantasy Premier League football this year, which is an interesting one. Uh, Sergio Aguero is 8-1. to one. Uh, So those are the four at the top of the market. Um, not much between them, uh, Jonathan. Who would you think is best set to uh, to score the most goals and represent value there? Well, I think if Aguero is fit, you know, if, if his knee is working, um, City certainly need him to score lots of goals. Uh, so maybe eight to one's not a bad price there. What price is Jamie Vardy to retain? Jamie Vardy is eighteen goal. to one. 18 uh, to. So Leicester play to him and through him so so much. You always think he's he's got a decent chance. I mean, uh, Aubameyang. Um, 
scored goals in a bad Arsenal team. This is now a good Arsenal team, so you'd assume he would score more goals. Mm. Uh, that, I mean, that's just science. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, what, what, what price did you say he was, sorry? Six to one. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, Bamiang with a little side bet on Vardy, maybe. Okay, Martin. Yeah, I think uh, from the from the four, Abamyang for value. He looks happy. That's the main thing right now. He looks happy, and he's and he's obviously scoring goals. Uh, so yeah, I think Abamyang's the value from the top four. I think there'll be much of a muchness though between those. I think Timo Werner's the the really interesting one. And I don't want to be the guy who just buys into all the hype that Chelsea are just going to be this amazing attacking <laughs> team next season. But it is impossible. They created a lot of chances last season. And they'll create more this season. I'm not saying that they'll be they'll be the perfect team, but they'll create a hell of a lot of chances. And Timo Werner last season came on so much in terms of his finishing uh, that he uh, well, I don't know what price he is. Werner's uh, twelve to one. Twelve to one. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I just think he's he's a complete forward, uh, and yeah, just the chances that they'll create for him. I think he'll he'll put away twenty plus easily. So he'll he'll be up there, and I think. Uh, 12 to 1 is a, a very good price. I'm going to make a case for a couple of bigger prices, probably more each way chances. You're getting a quarter to the four each way. Um, I think Hyunmin Son, 80 to 1, yeah, is a fair crack. It, it, there's no guarantee that Spurs are going to actually bring in another striker um, to deputise for Kane. And given the, the nature of this season with Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, um, going to be happening a fair bit. Um, you wouldn't think Kane will maybe have the legs to play as much as he has done recently. Some injury problems as well. So I think that'll probably give you a decent run and I mean I don't want to jump on the bandwagon but I mean Mason Greenwood at 40 to 1 with spread X just given that unless they do sign a Jaden Sancho you can be pretty sure that he's going to play he's going to start if he's fit 30 odd games in the coming season and his game even though he's playing on the right hand side his game is basically all about goals and his scoring record coming into the side last season was very strong indeed and it's a lot to ask for an 18 year old playing his first full season to go in the golden boot but at 40 to 1 a quarter of the four if we are anticipating United to be, again, as they were last season, a fairly free-scoring team, you have to have Greenwood in for, in for double figures, surely. So for him to be a fair way off the price of, you know, Martial, who's kind of 16 to 1, 18 to 1, um, and, uh, and Rashford, a similar price, I think is, is just a bit too big. I wouldn't have him far off their, their goal quotes. So that's a couple from me, I'm afraid. Apologies in advance for a 40 to 1 and 80 to 1 loser. Um, and then finally... The sack race is going to be the last market we discuss. Um, Roy Hodgson is the five to one favourite um, at Palace. David Moyes seven to one. Dean Smith ten to one. Steve Bruce ten to one. Scott Parker eleven to one. This is a very good one for the odds checker out because the prices vary massively between the bookmakers. Um, Hodgson is short as three to one elsewhere. Parker is short as five to one. Um, Sullivan Bilic who's fourteen to one is nine to one in other places. So make sure you do check the app before having your bets here. Who? Jonathan, can you see to be the first one to get the chop? Uh, Moyes. Um, <laughs> just because the start is so so difficult. You know, five of the first seven games against teams who finished in the top seven last season. Um, and of those, Wolves, the weakest, should be stronger this season because they have fewer other distractions. Uh, I think there was huge warning signs towards the end of last season. The performance against Burnley was a terrible, terrible performance. So for all, they kind of scrapped out results against against Chelsea. I just don't trust West Ham at all this season. So, yeah. And also, they're, they're, they're owners who um, are, you know, they fired him once and the second kill is always easier than the first. I mean, any hitman will tell you that. Um, <laughs> the other the other person who I think is is uh, sort of maybe a dark horse to be under pressure is is Frank Lampard. 
precisely because yeah, precisely because Chelsea are so exciting this season because they have spent so much money. Um, if if things don't go right pretty quickly, you know, he's not going to get fired in the first two months of the season. But if if other t- you know if 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 Villa have an okay start, if West Ham have an okay start, if Fulham have an okay start, um, and we sort of I think we're all anticipating that the disparity between top and bottom will not be as obvious in the first month or two of the season this season as it often is because of no proper pre-season. It's a very, you know, there's a random element there, which isn't normally there. So I think it is possible. We have to wait quite a while for the first sacking. Uh, Palace, I guess, yes, they had such a terrible end to, you know, such a po- terrible post lockdown period that Hodgson is under immediate pressure, but they may get a couple of wins early on. Uh, Hodgson's popular enough there. So I think Lampard could come under pressure if Chelsea are sort of eighth or ninth come, October, mm. and and yeah, we know Abramovich. Um, I mean, okay, he doesn't have the, the sort of the, the direct control he used to have, or the direct interest he used to have. But I, I I can see that if they will want a quick return on that investment, and if if it looks like they're not going to get that, if it begins to look like they're not going to qualify for Champions League, then I think Lampard does come under pressure. I'm not expecting that, but at 33 to one, I think it's something worth considering. 33 to 1 Lampard there and Moyes at 7 the 2 for Jonathan Martin where are you looking uh, I would say Moyes as well but the only the only opposition I'd have to that would be Hodgson at the moment I just think he he's the he's the one who comes into the season under the most pressure so like you say if, if Palace pick up have a have a decent start then then he, he'll likely be fine I could see him being fine for the rest of the season but if they have a poor start then I think he's under the most pressure immediately so if they lose like 3 four of their first five games or something like that. When you carry that over from the end of last season, I can see them pulling the trigger faster than anyone else. So it makes sense to me that he's the he's the shortest price. The so the I, only other one who might be worth considering, mm-hmm. what, what, what price is Rodgers? He's 25 to 1. Right. Purely because they had such a disappointing end to last season and there's also at least some level of expectation at the club. Uh, so again, if it drifts into sort of October and, and everybody's still there, and say Leicester sort of 13th, 14th, I think he suddenly comes under pressure. So he's another one. I'm just going to flag Scott Parker as well at 11 to 1. He's 5 to 1 with Hills, which I think is about right, even though he signed a new contract and had such a great end to last season. Um, Fulham fans, or anyone following the championship, nobody um, thought he was doing a particularly good job, really, until they had a brilliant playoff campaign. And given that what's at stake, um, if they have a slow start, I don't think Fulham will be hanging around to try and make an improvement in the dugout, is all I will say to that one. That brings us to an end. We've rattled through about seven markets there. Thank you very much to both Jonathan and to Martin for you know, enlightening us with their anticipation for the season. We're nearly there now, um, but make sure you do download the Odds Checker app because throughout the season, we will have all the very best bookie offers, always the best prices, the best tipsters as well every weekend. Fingers crossed we've given you a couple of winners uh, for this season ahead and please do ensure that you gamble responsibly. 